Let's do it. Hey, if you're ready to get in the word this morning, say, let's do it. Uh, let's go to Luke 15. We're going to be in Luke 15 this morning. And I think uh, since last time I was here a year ago, we uh, just had baby Gra- Aubrey Grace Chandler. She's our newest addition. I don't know if we got a picture up here, but um, she was born. It's um, our first daughter. So immediately I was like, well, you know what? I think they uh, have a ministry at the University of Alaska where you have to wear sweatpants and a jacket, like three jackets all year. Um, so we're praying about that. But uh, <clears throat> anybody have a good Christmas out there? It was a great Christmas. In our house. We did Christmas so good that Eli uh, yesterday woke up and was like, Daddy, can we do Christmas again? I want all new presents. So um, that's how good we did Christmas. Uh, hey, I just, just so you guys know, I am fired up. I've just been like expectant, worked up about this message. You really need to know this, that God is on the move. You need to know that in, while we're stuck at home, working from home, zooming from home, just trying to figure out life, you need to know that whether you see it or not, God is on the move. He is unstoppable. He is advancing. I love we just watched Chronicles of Narnia. Aslan is on the move. Let's go, Chronicles of Narnia nerds. <clears throat> All over the world, in Gainesville and Jacksonville, on campuses, on, in countries, I just think about um, last spring, we were in the middle of this evangelism training course where we get about 25 students, teach them how to share the gospel, how to open the scriptures with, uh, with their non-believing friends and family. And in the middle of that course, COVID hit. And so I was just so bummed. Like, you know what? We only did like two weeks of training. We had like four or five weeks lined up and they like knew how to share like half their testimony. So I knew it was going to be an awkward testimony, you know, when they went out and practiced with their friends and stuff. Uh, so uh, they, the students go home and sure enough, I start talking to one of the girls that she came back this fall and she said, I got to tell you, I, I was listening to you when you were talking and, and training us in evangelism. And my dad uh, during COVID got stuck in Alaska and he could not come back. And so we just started FaceTiming and Zooming. And, and he mentioned to me that, you know, those like Gideon Bibles, the, you guys should know, they work. They're like the same Bible that you and I are reading. And when people get in the scriptures, stuff happens. You know what I'm saying? So, so her dad got in the scriptures, was not a believer, was far from God, started reading. And he's just like, I can't figure this thing out. And she's like, well, you know what? Like, I just started reading it too, but they, they taught me how to read the Bible. Can we like read the Bible back and forth? So you better believe in September, she led her dad to Christ for in Alaska from Gainesville. You need to know that the kingdom of God is still advancing. It has not stopped. The question on the table this morning is, are you going to get involved in the movement? And I, you, you guys need to know, you, you, I think you guys have heard me enough. I'm not really a pastor. I'm a missionary. I communicate like a missionary. I am interested in the souls of people. I'm interested in getting all of you guys in the game. I'm interested in how the kingdom of God, of God is going forward when it comes to like shepherding and caring for people. Like I do those things, but that's not what gets me out of bed. What gets me out of bed is getting people in the game and getting people activated. And, and this morning, I just have a question on the, are you going to get involved in the movement of the gospel advancing. The Bible says in Matthew 6, to seek first the kingdom of God. Would you look at your neighbor and say, seek first? Look at your other neighbor and tell them to seek first too, just so they don't feel left out. 
Seek first the kingdom of God. The pro- I don't know about you guys, but like I, I, I can seek the kingdom. I just do it second or third, or sometimes it's been a rough week and there's a lot going on and parenting's hard. It's like fifth or sixth or seventh sometime. Seek first the kingdom. But here's the deal. When you're seeking, you're trying to find something, right? You're, you, you've got an objective. You're seeking to try to find it. And when you find it, when you have direction, when you see the kingdom, when you grasp the kingdom moving and advancing, what are you going to do with it? There's a quote I love. It says, those that are seeking the will of God are always overrun by those doing the will of God. Seeking and finding should lead to doing. So this morning, I'm gonna, I've got five, my big idea is five words this morning. How in the world are we going to get involved in this movement and, and do this thing that Jesus has called us to do, making disciples? Five words. One life at a time. One life at a time. Last year I was here, I talked about the Great Commission, how we need to go and baptize and teach and uh, teach to obey, right? There's something about like, you can teach the Ten Commandments. I can teach Eli the Ten Commandments. It's a whole different ballgame to teach him how to obey the Ten Commandments. You know, I can teach him how to uh, like brush his teeth, but he can't like... He needs me to like show him how to like get the teeth, you know, put the toothbrush. It, It takes time and effort to teach people how to obey Jesus. So that's our calling as Christians is to make disciples. How we do that is what I'm going to talk about this morning. One life at a time. Every single one of us is called to advance the gospel. And Jesus modeled this for us, right? In John 3, he has a late night conversation with Nicodemus. One, you know, one of the Pharisees <clears throat> had it all figured out, but they had this late night conversation. And that's who Jesus said, that famous like Tim Tebow verse, you know, John 3, 16. Uh, For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. He, that wasn't like a message he preached. That was a conversation he had late into the night. And we see in John 4, the woman at the well, right? He, Jesus like skips his lunch appointment so that he can go meet the adulterous woman at the well and lead her to Christ. And this is the crazy thing about the woman at the well. She goes back into her city and tells everybody about the man called Jesus and what he did. She became the very first missionary in the New Testament because Jesus skipped his lunch appointment and hung out with the woman at the well. It was one person, one life at a time. In Luke 8, the demon-possessed man, right, Jesus crossed a lake intentionally to go seek out the demon-possessed man and heal him from it. And sure enough, he stayed there and told the whole town about Jesus. Jesus did this one life at a time. Zacchaeus in a tree, right? He, they, like, the crazy thing about Zacchaeus is Jesus invites himself over for lunch. We should do that more often. You know what I'm saying? Like, let me come over to your house today and we can hang out. You know, how many people, it, I just get like rejected a lot. I need to be honest with you guys. I'm on, I'm on campus. I'm like, hey, can I take you to lunch? I will buy you Chipotle. And that works on about half the people. The other half are still like kind of sketched out. Like, what are you doing here again? Um, but there's so, like Jesus invites himself over for lunch, has a conversation. Zacchaeus repents, puts his faith in Jesus and comes to one life at a time. When's the last time you invited yourself over to share the gospel? When's the last time you intentionally visited someone? When's the last, like, what are your lunch breaks like these days? Are you thinking about one life at a time? Check this out. All the disciples that were following Jesus, he, they watched all of these conversations happen, right? They watched him go from one life at a time. Do you know what Jesus said to people who signed up to follow him, his disciples? You guys know this verse. It's a classic. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers 
of people or of men. I mean, we, when you go to college, you sign up four years, I'm going to get a degree, five if I'm confused, six if I'm just lost, you know. You sign up for a diet plan and, and you're hoping that in eight weeks you're 20 pounds lighter and sometimes it works, some, most of the time it doesn't work, you know. When you sign up to follow Jesus, he says, you will be a fisher of people. So the question that that prompts, if, if you're not fishing, then are you really following? And that's the question I want percolating in your mind this morning. If you're not fishing, then are you really following? Because that was a promise that Jesus gave to those that would follow him. If you're following me, you would be fishing for people. He was explicit and abundantly clear. I remember when uh, somebody challenged me with that verse. I was a freshman in college and, and I was like, yeah, you know, like I claim to follow Jesus. I'm not really good at this fishing thing. And and so uh, that, that led me to, I was sharing a room with, uh, his name is John, my freshman year roommate. And uh, so what I did was, I was like, okay, I'm going to fish for people. So I put my Bible on the coffee table. Maybe this will get them, you know, like, maybe you'll ask me about it. That Bible, not only did it like sit there for six months, I never even read it, you know, like it just said, I was just leaving it as bait, like as an excuse to not open my Bible. That did not work, right? But I was at least trying. I was at least fishing. The thing about Jesus, too, the imagery of fishing for people, the imagery that Jesus was going for isn't like baiting your hook and throwing it out and hoping somebody, you know, takes the bait. The image that they would have had is I've got this net and I'm going to go to different places in the lake and I'm going to throw my net and I'm going to reel it back and I'm going to throw my net again. I'm gonna, it was very active. It was very intentional. It was very purposeful, right? But if you're not fishing, are you really following? Okay, let's get into it. Luke 15, verses 1 through 7. Here we go. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. I don't know about you guys, but in my Bible, sinners is in quotes, the tax collectors and sinners. It's interesting, everyone there except Jesus was a sinner, right? It makes you wonder what the Pharisees meant when they used this term. I think they used it as a label. Those people, those uh, they are not like me, they are other, they are despised by God, they're unreligious, they're undeserving of me or my time and attention. And I wonder if do you think of anyone like that? Oh, they voted for that guy. You know? Oh, they spend their money this way, right? People that you don't think because of their choices or their identity or whatever it is, don't merit the grace of God or just barely, you know, like they barely made it. Maybe they did something to you. Maybe they don't worship like you do. Maybe they look different than you. Sinners. You know, Jesus attracted those people. Those people that the religious people shunned, they wanted to eat dinner with Jesus. And I think about who wants to eat dinner with me, you know? Am I attracting those same, what's going on at my dinner table? I was so encouraged talking to my sister. She had uh, a couple of friends she invited to her neighborhood and, and uh, one, of them, uh, one of them is a lesbian woman. 
uh, her neighbor. And then the other one actually is an illegal immigrant. And so they're like sitting there talking and, and the illegal immigrant tells uh, the, you know, the people like, yeah, I'm not really supposed to be here. And, and she looks over uh, at the lesbian and the, and the lesbian woman was like, yeah, I can't believe you're here. And she's like, you know what? I didn't really think I'd be making dinner with a lesbian in my neighborhood either. And they just kind of laughed about it, you know, but I was so pumped that my sister was taking steps towards people that were far from God and that needed Jesus. And they're all just sitting there laughing, having a good time. And, and we're praying that those women come to know Jesus, but that's who's at our dinner table. And I'm wondering who's at my dinner table. It says, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. They muttered, this man, this man, that phrase really sticks out to me. What did they think about this man? It's interesting that they didn't even have the full picture of Jesus and they were mad at him for hanging out with people that they considered were unholy, unrighteous sinners. If they only knew who Jesus really was, they would be even more mortified, right? The Jesus that had all of the glory in heaven, that have angels singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. His entire existence, the one who sat upon the throne and whose uh, train filled the temple, his train of light, this man, Jesus, who put on this stuff to come and hang out with us. Man, this God named Jesus his kingdom that has no end, right? He is the alpha and the omega, the lily of the valley, the king of kings, the Lord. If they only knew who Jesus was, not only would they be offended that he was hanging out with tax collectors and sinners, but they would be undone that a man like him, as holy and set apart as he was, would be around them. When we get a right view of Jesus, we certainly get a right view of ourselves. We can only sit in awe. But, but if your reaction, your reaction to like who Jesus is determines, just like unveils a lot about your own sense of self-righteousness. You know, if you read the story and you're, you're like, you know what, of course Jesus would eat with me. I went to Sunday school. Of course, you know, like I'm trying to love my neighbor. Of course Jesus would, you know, want to hang out with me. But when you get a right view of Jesus, how could Jesus eat with a sinner like me? Only because of the love of God and his grace for my sins. Let's get back to it. Then Jesus told them this parable. Here's what he said. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and his neighbors and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. I love, that's my favorite verse. I just imagine the angels stopping and saying, did you hear what happened with Susie? You know, did you hear what happened with Joe? He finally got it and they're celebrating, right? Does God delight more in a church service or in one sinner who repents? In one sinner, he's pretty clear right here. It's a, it's a totally different celebration and it tells you something about God's priorities that really should shape ours. One person at a time. 
Or suppose a young woman has 10 coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Guys, there's some good stuff going on here. I've got four observations this morning that Jesus that Jesus shares with us in these parables. The first observation is he is so concerned that one person is missing or that one sheep or one coin is missing. Jesus noticed that one is missing. I don't know about you other parents in the room, but if things get too quiet, you notice. We got a three and a half year old Eli, and when things get too quiet, you know something is good. He, he said the other day, he's like, Mommy, don't look over here. <laughs> Why, Eli? Because I'm doing something. And when things get too quiet, I don't really know who to be more concerned about, like Eli or the world, you know? Like, that's kind of how, how my kid is. There's a moment of panic that comes over you when you realize that someone you love is missing. You know, kids that are missing, the emotion that can be invoked as a parent. You watch the news, I think a couple of weeks ago, <clears throat> there was a kid missing in Tennessee and hundreds of people got mobilized to go find one child, as they should. There is an urgency and an immediacy. We have to go find this one. And that's what Jesus is saying. One is missing. That should get your attention. That should invoke your emotion. That should create a sense of urgency. Man, do we have the same urgency as a mom whose house is too quiet and needs to find her kid? Do we have the same urgency as the father in heaven who knows that he has lost sheep? The son of man came to seek and to save that which is lost. He had a sense of urgency and clarity. There's three stories in this parable. We read two of them, the 99 sheep, the 10 coins, and the two brothers, right? In each case, there's a different reason why each person or thing is missing. The first one, the sheep wanders off, right? Everybody say wander off. And that just represents people that get like fascinated or distracted with other stuff. And they just start walking and wandering and entertainment or the lure of a career, right? People that just don't know truth, don't know God, that are figuring out, that are finding their own truth. That's a phrase that college students are saying, that I, my truth. You know, my, I don't really get it. I don't really like it, but they like that term, my truth. They're just wandering off. Then coins, they don't just wander off, right? They get dropped. They get dropped, and I think that could represent people that get offended by the church or hurt by the church or someone just dropped them or the church dropped them and they're lost. Maybe with somebody watching online, you feel like you got dropped by somebody, by a pastor, by a friend, by a youth leader, that, that, that we can just, we can understand the feeling of being dropped. And that, guys, I got to tell you, it does happen in the church. It does happen in campus ministry. People get forgotten. People get dropped. People get lost in the shuffle. And I hate it, but it happens. And then we get the parable of the prodigal son, right? There are those who they don't wander and they don't get dropped and they just rebel. 
And there are people who are rebelling against God today. We have seen it. it. It's probably a few of you or most of you or some of you in this room. I mean, you, you know what it was like. You got in the pig pen, right? You were eating the slop and you're like, what am I doing? What about my, I can't forget my father who's so kind and compassionate. What is he going to say to me when I come back home? And you knew, you, you now have lived out what he says to you. You're forgiven. You're loved. It is finished. You are my child. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So the, the people that have rebelled, that's a, that's a real thing. But no matter where they are, Jesus understood that one is missing. And it really does make me wonder, how should we think about Sunday morning, right? Do we measure success by how many righteous ones are in the seats? Sure, like that's a good thing. But the necessity of the church, of Beaches Chapel, is dictated by all of the empty seats. That should remind us about our community, about Neptune Beach, about Jacksonville and our friends and our neighbors and our coworkers. Where are they? What are they doing this morning? We should be asking each other in small groups, like, what are our neighbors doing with COVID? How are they doing? How is their anxiety? Do they know the shepherd of their soul? What are they doing with their life? Are they spending it on worthwhile stuff? Are they experiencing real joy? I mean, I hope, I, I hope that you think about all of those questions when you see empty seats. That should bring about urgency and clarity to our mission. Listen, if you don't have mission, if mission isn't a part of what we're doing at Beaches Chapel, then you will never have fellowship. Let me be clear about it. You will never have true community if you don't have mission. Because what it should feel like, what it should be like, is that we're all on mission during the week, Monday through Saturday. And then we come back on Sunday and we're like, man, this was a hard week. I got rejected by Joe. I got rejected by Susie. They don't want to hang out with me. They think I'm weird. And then you turn to your neighbor, you tell them that. And they're like, you know what? Me too. I get it. And then you get to remind each other of the gospel of Jesus who is loving and accepting and loves your neighbor, loves Susie and Joe more than you do and wants them in the kingdom more than you do, even on your best day. And that's how true community and fellowship is born. But if you just focus on community, you know what happens when Christians spend way too much time together? One, it's just boring. And two, Drama happens. Have you been to a youth group? No offense. I've heard great things about salt. Way to go, Jason. Keep it up. But there's something about when you get in the Christian bubble and all you get concerned about is who is dating who and who likes who and what's going on here and who did this, you know, illegal thing on Friday night and all this. You just get drama. But if there's urgency and clarity to all of the people out there at Fletcher and around and Atlantic Coast and Sandalwood, then your sense of community, there's purpose. There is urgency, there is clarity and nothing brings people together like a shared mission. You can't have true fellowship without true mission. And that was the Lord's indictment of the scribes and the Pharisees. It was clear and unescapable that this, these parables were for them. Man, what if our Church, like there's so many, I was on a call last week about uh, with a bunch of other church planters on strategy and how do we do church growth and all of these things. But I would just submit to you 
my big idea this morning. This church would double in size if we did one life at a time. 2021, would you, would you just adopt that phrase? One life at a time. One neighbor at a time. I don't know about you, but I can't handle more than one. You know what I mean? Like I got three, I, don't, I got two kids and my wife at home and it takes everything that I have to you know, just love them as they should be loved. It's hard to think about adding one more person that's screwed up and jacked up like my neighbor. I hope he doesn't watch this, but man, that guy's got seven cars in his driveway and they've been there for like two years and that's another story for another time. <clears throat> When was the last time you were part of the story of finding a lost sheep? I pray that it's 2021. Or we still got like five more days, right? Or four more, I'm bad at math, that was a history major. Four more days. Second observation, one is valuable. He was not saying that the 99 weren't important. He was illuminating the value of the one. Man, I don't know if you know this, but human beings are so valuable, so valuable. It's funny, we see value based upon like the rarity in the world, right? Diamonds and moon rocks and, you know, all the, like rarity equals value. Think about your kids on Christmas, right? Like they didn't have a toy, it was very rare and they got the toy and they're like, you know, joy and delight. And then as soon as the toy becomes not very rare anymore after like 30, after like three minutes of playing with it, it loses its value, right? And daddy, can Christmas come tomorrow so I can get more toys, you know? Like things lose their value when they lose their rarity, but not humans. Do you know why? Three reasons. One, humans will live forever. Nothing else is going to live forever. And Jesus realizes that hell is a very real place, right? The next chapter, Luke 16, the rich man in hell. Can I just shake you for a moment this morning? The heavens and earth are going to pass away. Your resume, your 401k, it will all pass away. But the souls of humans will never pass away. There's three things that live forever. God, God's word, and the souls of people. Do you want to invest in eternity? Invest in one of those three things. And you will never regret it in a billion years. People, second reason, people are created in God's image, right? Back in Genesis 1, they will look like us. Our nature will be like his forever. And then thirdly, that every soul represents more souls, right? The woman at the well, Jesus knew that if he reached one, he could reach your neighborhood. He recognized if I could reach the demoniac, I can reach all the people that thought the demoniac was crazy. And he did just by reaching one life at a time. And let me just share this, the, the parable of the coin here. It really means the word lost uh, in that parable. It means it's just, it didn't just get dropped, it got lost, right? The thing about the coin is it, has, it didn't lose its value. It was still valuable, right? The coin had not changed, it still held value. The mintage still held weight, but it had no purchasing power. And it couldn't be used, right? Because it wasn't in her hands. Part of the coin's value is in its ability to be used by the owner. That's why I want to get more coins in circulation. Do you know what the University of Florida means, needs? It needs more coins in circulation. It needs more laborers who are interested in finding lost sheep and lost... Do you know what Neptune Beach needs? 
It needs normal, average, everyday people whose value is eternal because of their father in heaven looking for lost sheep, looking for lost coins because they've gotten dropped, because they've wandered off, because they've rebelled and they need to hear the message of the gospel, of the one who is the shepherd who goes to find his sheep, of the lady who looks and turns over her whole house to find the lost coin because it holds so much value, right? Observation three, one is loved. One is loved. Let's put emotion into this for a second. Think about, uh, I was trying to disciple this guy. That's always fun. Um, Trying to disciple a freshman in college. It basically means you show up at a, you know, at a table on campus and you listen to him talk about his girl problems for an hour. But we got into the scriptures together, finally. It's about two and a half hours of talking about Sarah. And uh, I just challenged him like, hey, if you're not fishing, are you really following? Let's go fishing. And so he's like, okay, I don't know what that means, but sure, I'll just follow your lead. So we go around and we, you know, try to share Jesus with people on campus. And finally, after like the fourth or fifth guy, uh, we meet Josh. And Josh, uh, I really made a rookie mistake. Josh had his earphones in when I approached him. And if you're a college student, you know what I mean? If you got your earphones in, like, don't talk to me. You know, like, that's a universal sign of please stay away. I don't want to talk to you. I don't want you, whatever you're selling. Well, I approached him, and then I saw him, you know, take the earphone out. I was like, oh, no, I blew it already. <clears throat> and he was, you know, a little hostile. But then I just asked, like, hey, we're just going around, you know, what's the spiritual climate on campus, and uh, what do you think about Jesus? And so we just started a conversation, and uh, sure enough, after about 15 minutes, we got to share the gospel with him. Just a little simple gospel illustration. And he opened up and just shared, you know, I've, I've been really having a hard time. I grew up in church, but I rebelled. Uh, I, in fact, I am still rebelling. And in fact, today I am feeling the consequences of my rebellion last night. That's kind of the mood that he was in. But he's like, but you know what? Like, I know something. I know I have wandered off. I've been waiting for someone to help me wander back in. So sure enough, um, Josh does, he gets plugged in with us, goes to a Bible study, all that kind of stuff is great. Um, A couple weeks later, I'm attending this missions class, and they flew in this missionary from the Middle East who'd been there for 20 years. We go out to lunch, and I'm just like, this guy's like my hero, so I'm asking him all these questions. And uh, then he looks at me, and he's like, hey, you work at UF, right? And there's maybe 15 people at the table. And I was like, yeah, you, you know, yes, sir, work at UF, trying to share the gospel. He's like, oh, great, do you know this guy named Josh? I was like, Josh, Josh? He's like, Josh, Josh. And uh, I was like, yeah, you know, I think, I, I think that's the Josh. Did you just meet him two weeks ago sharing the gospel? Yeah, I did. That was me. And, he's like, and the missionary just starts crying. He's like, you don't know this, but me and Josh's dad are best friends. I've been getting emails for years about Josh and how he is wandering off and how the church youth group dropped him and how he like me and his dad have been praying for years that somebody would say that God would send somebody to help him come back in the fold. The missionary is in tears, been praying for over five years for Josh. One is loved like the like Josh's daddy loved Josh. The father loves the lost sheep and the lost coin and will move heaven and earth for one individual. I love it just shows the characteristics of God, these parables, that the sheep 
God feels responsible for the one. He feels responsible for every single person. They are, that he created them and they are his, right? With the coin, he feels a sense of possession. God knows that every person belongs to him. He's jealous for them. He has, Revelation tells us he's purchased men from every tribe and tongue and nation and he wants to redeem them all. And then the parable of the prodigal son, God is father. He feels compassion for the one. If your kid has gone astray, and, and you just know as a parent what that feels like. It's indescribable, but that's the way that God feels compassion for the lost. And Jesus saw what those sinners really were. They were lost sheep who needed a shepherd. They were lost coins who had immense value, but they needed to be put back in circulation. And they were lost sons who needed to be in fellowship with the father. Man, do you feel responsible for your neighborhood? You feel a sense of compassion for those that have wandered off or gotten dropped. I mean, are we as in love with them as the Father is? Probably not. But you know what? The longer we walk with Jesus, the more we become like him. So we should be, I mean, I tell you what, I, compassion is like not my gift. I get angry very easily and I don't think people, people uh, don't deserve my compassion. I feel like that sometimes. But you know, because I'm walking with Jesus, he's telling me to lay down my judgment and to pick up my compassion and understanding, right? One last observation. One that is found is celebrated. When they are found, thousands of angels, multitude of angels have a party for one person. I had to ask myself, what am I celebrating? You know, like when was the last time I celebrated? It's been four weeks since the Gators had a victory because of that dang shoe. I got sunglasses in the mail. I celebrated, right? I made it to Sunday. You know, praise God, we made it to Sunday. You know, if it's Monday afternoon, praise God, I made it to Monday afternoon. But how does that, all of those things, how does Christmas presents ever compare to a soul plucked from fire? So let me end it like this. What do you want, what do you want me to do with this message? Of course, I want you guys to be throwing your nets out in your neighborhood, in your workplaces, in your Zoom meetings, right? You need to know, I tell our students this all the time, like awkward conversations really do change lives. You need to know that. Like it might be awkward to talk about Jesus over Zoom. Awkward conversations really do change. Have you read Jesus's interactions with people? You know what I mean? Like there, there were, if you're just standing there as a bystander, you're like, this is awkward. He changed the trajectory of people's lives just like that. So what do I want you to do? Yes, I want you to fish for people. I want you to find people to go after. I want you to think about if I'm not fishing, then am I really following? But more than that, if you're like me and you struggle with fishing, you know, I get paid to do it and I still get scared and I still, you struggle with my motivation and I still struggle with right motivations, right? Is it a tackle box problem that you have? Is it a confidence thing? Is it a training thing? I would submit to you that more than it is all of those problems, it is very much a gospel problem. You are not gonna take any of this home until you remember that you were the lost sheep, that you got dropped. Maybe that you rebelled, that you were the lost sheep and God was incomplete. Jesus, his kingdom was incomplete without you. So he went and found you that Jesus wanted you in circulation. So he lifted the couch and scoured the kitchen till he found you. 
that you might've been the lost son that rebelled and the father delighted when you looked at him and came home. Listen, if you, you need to know this. You did not find Jesus. Jesus found you. Jesus came from heaven to earth to find us. He has been on a rescue mission since the fall, since Adam and Eve, our parents, decided to not trust him and to put their lives in their own hands. Jesus says, "Uh uh-uh, I'm going to do something about that. I'm going to show them my radical, unending love for the one, for you. And just like the sheep, guys, he found you. And once he found you, there was nothing you could do except to be found, right? And when you're found, guess what? You're, you can't run. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Uh, you've been lost. Jesus found you on the mountain. And you know where he put you? He put you on his shoulders. You can struggle all you want. It's not about your grip on him. It's about his grip on you. You're not getting down. You're not getting off those shoulders. You've been dropped, but he picked you up and you're not getting dropped again. You've rebelled, but you have been forgiven. And every single one of those sins, he says, from the east to the west, no longer I remember any of those sins because of my love for you. He chose you as his own before time began. I don't know about you, but I love poetry. I know that's like not like a masculine thing, but I'm going to end with... Uh, this, this poem, it's, it's actually an old hymn called the 90 and 9, the band. I think uh, you guys can go ahead and come on up. <clears throat> but this hymn, this old hymn represents what Jesus endured to find the one. There were 90 and 9 that safely lay in the shelter of the fold. But one was out on the hills away, far off from the gates of gold, away on the mountains, wild and bare, away from the tender shepherd's care. Lord, thou hast here the ninety and nine, are they not enough for thee? But the shepherd made answer, this of mine has wandered away from me. And although the road be rough and steep, and, and I go to the desert to find my sheep, but none of the ransomed ever knew how deep were the waters crossed, nor how dark was the night that the Lord passed through, ere he found his sheep that was lost. Out in the desert he heard its cry, sick and helpless and ready to die. Lord, whence are those blood drops all the way that mark out the mountain's track? They were shed for one who had gone astray, or the shepherd could bring him back. Lord, whence are thy hands so rent and torn? They are pierced tonight by many a thorn. And all through the mountains, thunder riven and up from the rocky steep, there arose a glad cry from the gate of heaven. Rejoice, I have found my sheep. And the angels echoed around the throne. Rejoice, for the Lord brings back his own. Guys, remember, like, yes, throw your nets. Yes, cast them out there. Yes, one life at a time. But remember, if you're wrestling with all those things, remember what it cost Jesus to bring you home. He was willing to pay that cost for you. Your reputation, your identity, your chance for embarrassment, those awkward conversations, they will not happen without you remembering the length and the breadth and the depth of Jesus's love for you and how he was willing to come after you with everything he got, dying on a cross, conquering sin and death three days later, rising so that we might have life with him and rising so that the lost sheep could be found and rising so that the lost coins could be picked up 
and the rebellious sons could come back into the fold. So I don't know where you're at this morning. If you feel dropped, if you feel lost, if you just need to repent and say, God, I'm so sorry for being about my kingdom and not about yours. If you just wanna tell the Lord 2021, I'm gonna, God, I've already got the person. I've already got the name. If you need to come and pray, we've got a prayer team. I'll be happy to pray with you. Let's bow our heads together. Jesus, we're so grateful for the love of the Father, the life that you, Jesus, modeled when you sought out those that were broken and those that were hurting, those that were ostracized, those that were labeled as sinners. God, that that is what's on your heart. God, we pray that as we as we just remember your love for us when we got dropped or when we got lost or when we just rebel and rebel and rebel, that the gospel really is, there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. So God, we're, we just praise you and thank you for the good news of our right standing before you. And God, we plead with you for the lives and the souls of our friends and family members and neighbors and co-workers, Father, that you would bring them back in the fold. And God, that we would be so lucky and privileged to be used in that process. God, you're so good. It's in your good and strong name I pray.